Now we say good morning again and beautiful sunshine. It's great to be here. Matter of fact, I want to tell you that I am really thankful for you guys as we uh, meet here to worship our great God. You know, this goes right on into eternity, you know. Uh, his Word his word uh, goes forever, doesn't it? And that's really what it all revolves around. Um, you guys ever felt overwhelmed? You ever felt absolutely <laughs> inadequate? Uh, you laugh. <laughs> Silly question. <laughs> you ever felt overwhelmed with things, yeah. with life in general? Uh, you ever f- <laughs> well, I'm here to tell you that I absolutely feel inadequate to do anything that I do, especially these things that we do here that's the most important aspect of life, to worship God. Um, absolutely I'm insufficient. I'm inadequate. I really have nothing in myself here to uh, be of any value. But sometimes as we get overwhelmed with that, we see that, uh, yeah, we're needy people, aren't we? Mm -hmm. But we are needy people to serve Christ in a needy world because there are other people who need the Savior. There are billions out there that need the Savior. I'm overwhelmed with the immensity of that. I mean, who am I in that kind of situation where the world is lost? Uh, How can I possibly meet even the needs of this city? can't. How can I even meet the needs of this church? I can't. I really can't. I'm absolutely inadequate. There are massive needs out there in the hurting world. And Paul said that, so it's okay to say it, because he said, who is adequate for these things? He's talking about ministry. Ministry for Christ. Who's adequate? Nobody is. Nobody's sufficient in themselves. The passage of Scripture that we're dealing with today has a more profound impact on service for Christ than anything else. I think this section on the feeding of the 5,000, everybody's familiar with it, that it is profound of how much it means as far as service to Christ is concerned. It could be argued that it might be the most significant miracle outside of the resurrection that Christ did. Now I know that's a high statement to make, but it can be challenged, it can be argued, and it is argued about. What, what's the greatest one? I will tell you, outside of the resurrection, it's the only miracle that is recorded in all four Gospels. Now that's pretty significant. Uh, we have Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and they're called the Synoptic Gospels. They basically have the same, close to the same miracles, not always, but pretty well if you see one and one, you'll see it in the other two. Maybe, maybe not. But this one is in all four, the Synoptic Gospels and John. 
You see, John only recorded seven miracles, and if you put in the resurrection, which absolutely is, that would be the eighth miracle. John proved the deity of Christ, and so he just pulled out the ones which showed very concisely and clearly who Christ was. There are so many miracles that he did, they're far beyond what can be counted. All the things that he did, John talked about that. So John only recorded a few of those miracles. Here we get this one. And so don't take it for granted as we read it. I know you've read it. You've probably heard it many times. But this is something as we kind of dissect it. And uh, we'll be praying that it makes a an impact on our hearts. Um, you have the most number of people that are involved in this miracle. At least that's recorded. You have the most eyewitnesses. The most volume is here in this feeding of the 5,000. It emphasizes, and what we're going to be really hitting on today, is the sufficiency of Christ. The adequacy of Christ. And Christ meets our needs. We can't deny that. His sufficiency for my insufficiency. And that's how things can be done. It's His sufficiency. That's how things happen in a hurting world. And the Lord used this incident. Uh, of course, there are, probably a, there are a number of reasons. His compassion and show His power and such. And we've been talking about that. But it's a great time to train the twelve. Because they're going to be involved heavily in this miracle. And you remember that they just had done some ministry work. For the first time, they were sent out by Christ alone. Sent out pairs. you remember that? They're being trained. Christ is getting them ready. And here it is here. What a place to do this. And He tells them, get them something to eat. John 6 6 talks about that. It says that Jesus was testing them, especially Philip. It's a test there. Now we're never told exactly how Jesus did it. He just kept giving the disciples more and more and more. Here's what you see it looks like just a little bit. But yet he keeps giving them more. But the focus isn't on the spectacular nature here of this miracle, but it's what it teaches us how we serve Christ. Christ meets the needs of others by using His people to get it to them, to meet the needs through them. I think the magnificence here of Jesus is magnified in this miracle, as it shows the deity of Christ, His compassion, but it's brought to the forefront. And who else could do something like this? Let's grab our Bibles. Let's turn to Luke chapter 9. Start at verse 12. Now the day was ending... And the twelve came and said to him, Send the crowd away, that they may go into the surrounding villages and countryside and find lodging, and get something to eat, for here we are in a desolate place. But he said to them, You give them something to eat. And they said, 
we have no more than five loaves and two fish. Unless perhaps we go and buy food for all these people. For there were about 5,000 men. And he said to his disciples, Have them sit down to eat in groups about 50 each. They did so, and they all sat down. They took the five loaves, the two fish, and looking up to heaven, he blessed them, broke them, and kept giving them to the disciples to set before the people. And they all ate and were satisfied. And the broken pieces which they had left over were picked up. Twelve baskets full. And it happened which he was praying alone, the disciples were with him and he questioned them, saying, Who do the people say that I am? They answered and said, John the Baptist. Others say Elijah. But others that one of the prophets of old is risen again. And he said to them, But uh, who do you say that I am? Peter answered and said, The Christ of God. But he warned them and instructed them not to tell this to anyone, saying, the Son of Man must suffer many things, be rejected by the elders, chief priests, scribes, be killed, and be raised up on the third day. Father, we thank You for the person of Christ, and we get the privilege every week of seeing how awesome truly He is. And may it make an impact on our hearts that we not take it for granted these stories that we're so familiar with, that it it would be fresh, it would be new to us, it would be a wonder as we go. This is the sufficient one, the one who is adequate. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. So we go to the need. There's need there where... Jesus and the apostles are at. Always is, isn't there? Now what's happening is that, you remember, we looked at it last week, the apostles were sent out to preach, to heal, cast out demons. That's what they did. They actually did it. They came back, they reported it to Jesus. And as always, people are around, people are coming, they see them, and as they're giving an account to Jesus, they're going to have to move out. Jesus withdrew Himself and them to the area of Bethsaida. It's over on the other side of the Galilee. They take boat is what they do. Mark's account in 6.31 tells us that the purpose of the getaway, it's a little getaway, was for rest. Now why did they need rest? Disciples had been out preaching and healing takes a lot out of you as time went on there and they came back and they're tired. And there were so many just coming and going. You know, you have one passage in Matthew 14. You have the, this passage in Mark 6. Here's a, It's in Luke 9 and then John 6. We can go back and forth to those Gospels. And we might a couple of times, but it's good to know where those are at if you want to kind of look at it. They complement each other. Um, people are just coming and going and, and they tend to gather around Jesus. He draws a crowd wherever He goes. So they, bought, uh, they got in the boat, started off, crossed the lake, 
And as they're going there, uh, people see them leaving, and, and a lot of them start to uh, walk where he's going. Some of them are running <laughs> as they're going to try to get to the other side where they think he's headed. And this is the only kind of getaway the disciples are getting here. They're tired. They're hungry. There's needy people. They come to the shore. What do they see? This huge crowd. Jesus is compassionate. And He will not turn that down. Disciples are probably saying, Oh no. Let's turn this boat around. Let's head another direction. Let's get out of here. We're so tired. We're so hungry. There's a need here. And as far as the people are concerned, many of them need to be healed. There's physical ailments all around. Some of them are sick, diseased. Some of them are dying. They're blind. They're deaf. They're lame. By the end of the day, others would be saying that they have a great need for food. (laughs) Everybody in that crowd is going to get hungry. It's a long day. There was nothing to eat in that desolate place. When we say desolate, we're just saying there wasn't any kind of stores out there. There weren't any other houses. There wasn't anybody around. It's not a desert. Matter of fact, in one of the Gospel accounts it says it was a grassy area. So it's not desert, but it's desolate in the sense they can't get food. So there's the physical need. We see that. But we recognize as Christians that people have a greater need. That need is not physical, but spiritual. Whether anyone recognized it or not, that was their greatest need that's really what Jesus is doing. You know, they you know, Jesus can heal their, their bodies, and he did. Jesus can feed them. And he did. That's only temporary. It doesn't last. It's not eternal. They will perish. And if they don't trust in Christ, they will perish in their sins. Jesus knows. That's the reason that He's here. That's why He's here. He taught them about the kingdom of God. How to enter it. How to live it. How to be related to Him. In uh, Luke 9-11, where we just left off last week, it says the crowds were aware of this, followed Him, and welcoming them, He began speaking to them about the kingdom of God and curing those who had need of healing. So that's what He's done all along. You know, without Christ, I don't know what people can do, how they can handle life. I, I try to feature, you know, how do they get through things? Well, there's a bumper sticker. It's, I think, a, an older bumper sticker. It may not be around anymore, but it said, Life is tough, then you die. If that's all there is, is this just a bunch of random things that come to us? We're we're born, we live here, and random things happen. There's nobody in charge of it, and then we die. And then what? That's it. If a person doesn't know God and doesn't have eternal life, 
that bumper sticker really makes probably a lot of sense to them. Life is tough, and then you die. There's no hope in that, is there? That kind of news is really, it's desperately bad. Often the problems that people encounter can be the very starting point for us to be able to get them to the truth of Jesus Christ and His kingdom. Because whenever they have these things mounted on them and they have no hope, wow, that's a jumping off point to get them to where we really want, isn't it? They have a need. They have a problem. What's our problem? We're inadequate. We're insufficient, all of us. We're not adequate at all. That's our problem. So this is where we get into this this text here. And and you'll see that... uh, Disciples are going to see that they're absolutely inadequate. They know it. The day was ending. The twelve came, said to him, Send the crowd away, that they may go into the surrounding villages and countryside and find lodging and get something to eat. For here we are in a desolate place. Did you notice a contrast between verse 11, the way that Jesus has an attitude toward the multitude, and about the attitude of the disciples. Do you see it? Jesus says in verse 11, welcomed them. He was going to try to give some rest to the apostles. A little bit of a mini vacation, you know. Doesn't doesn't happen. So here it is. He does His healing and He's preaching all day long. It's nearing the end of the day. Everybody's getting tired. The disciples are just about shot. And they realize that here we are. We're out in an area here that they can't get food. And what are they going to do? So there's still enough time for them to scatter. Some people can walk to Capernaum. Uh, you're definitely close to Bethsaida. Some could run there as they ran there to meet them. They could run back. Some are further away. But what it is, is there's a huge crowd there. And of course, if you've ever been to, gone through Columbia, whenever there's been a football game or a basketball game, you see the tremendous amount of traffic that's on Highway 63, whether you're coming or going. And um, so, here they are. Others are, you know, they could be scattering, but this isn't a place that you can get food. Disciples are just thinking logically. Being exhausted. (laughs) And when you've done all that you can do and you have nothing left, sometimes you get a little testy. I don't know if they're testy here, but they give a suggestion to Jesus. As a matter of fact, it's it's almost like they're telling him what to do. But they were spent. You know, we've got to see this. Got to see the see the humanness in this because this is us. We really get worn out, tired, physically, mentally, spiritually, right? Can we see us in the disciples here? So they go up to Jesus and say, "Hey." Just, you know, send them away. Everybody for themselves. They should fend for themselves. They they got here, they can get where they wanted to go. 
So that's that's their thinking, that's their attitude here, and I can't quite blame them too much. But there's one problem. I kind of forgot how Christ works. They kind of forgot what He can do. Do you think food is a problem with Jesus? <laughs> no. Nothing is a problem with Him. You know, I think they also forgot something else. Where had they just been? Out ministering and serving. What were they doing? Preaching. Healing. Miracles had happened. They forgot the power of Christ that can work through them. They went to human thinking. You know, this is not really new. God had provided food for people before in a miraculous way. If you want to go back, you could probably start thinking of it several times. I'll give you one that you probably don't remember. I don't remember too much. I kind of forgot about it. But it kind of parallels our situation here. In 2 Kings chapter 4, fascinating. Chapter 4, verse 42. Now a man came from Baal Shalisha, right, <laughs> and brought the man of God bread of the first fruits, twenty loaves of barley and fresh ears of grain in his sack. And he said, Give them to the people that they may eat. Here's somebody like a, an apostle here. His attendant said, what will I set this before a hundred men? Mm-hmm. We're just talking about a little bit of food here. When you say loaves, we're not talking about those wonder loaves, those 24 ounce. <laughs> that, you know, we're talking about like little biscuits. The 24 biscuits. A hundred men who are really hungry. His attendant said, Are you kidding me? But he said, Give them to the people that they may eat, for thus says the Lord, they shall eat and have some left over. This really happened. This this sounds fascinating. Sounds very close to ours today, doesn't it? So he set it before them, and they ate and had some left over, according to the word of the Lord. Wow, that's great. That happened in the Old Testament time there, right? That's during the time of Elisha. The prophet. Well, let's go to Luke 9, 38-41. Here's the disciples again. They're human. You know. A man from the crowd shouted, saying, Teacher, I beg you to look at my son, for he's my only boy. And a spirit seizes him, and he suddenly screams, and it throws him into a convulsion with foaming at the mouth, and only with difficulty does it leave him, mauling him as it le- as it leaves. I begged your disciples to cast it out, and they could not. Jesus answered and said, You unbelieving and perverted generation, how long shall I be with you and put up with you? Bring your son here. This is the disciples again. They couldn't do it. They had been given the power and the authority to do that. They couldn't pull it off. It comes with meditation and prayer, doesn't it? Powerful prayer. They could. This is a section that's after the section that we're dealing with today. Unbelieving. You know what? 
I battle with that all the time. Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. Yep, that's right. There are times when, you know, it's just hard to believe what God is doing is the right thing. Well, if you remember in chapter 9, verse 1, they had been delegated with power and authority. He called the twelve together, gave them power and authority over all the demons and to heal diseases. So I jumped way ahead in the same chapter here and just read that. And there was a man who had a, you know, one that was, something that was demonic, or that was demon possessed. They couldn't do it. But they had the authority and the power of Jesus. So they were delegated with that. That's what we, you know, of course, we looked at that section last week, how they'd been given that power. It's easy to forget about the presence of Christ, isn't it? Can we identify with these guys? There's an impossible request that Jesus gives. Go back to chapter 9. And we're still at the end of verse 12. Get something to eat. Verse 13. You give them something to eat. (laughs) You. You guys. You give them something to eat. They don't say, oh, we can't do that. Well, what are you talking about? What What do you mean? They had said, send them away. Jesus makes a statement. What could they do? How could they feed the crowd that could like fill a stadium or an arena? How could they do that? Food, that they don't have it there. It hasn't been prepared. There's nothing there. Except five loaves and the two fish, right? So the disciples start commenting about buying enough food for all the people. Had to be said probably with a little bit of sarcasm. Uh, they didn't have nearly enough money. We're talking thousands of people here. The other Gospels report that they did a quick calculation. They told Jesus that 200 denarii, which is seven, eight months of work, even if we had all of that before us, it wouldn't be enough to give each person just a little bit of bread. If they gave like a year's salary, it would not feed the crowd. Not everybody would even get a little piece at all. Now they're at a desolate place. Even if they went to Bethsaida to buy some bread, if they had all the money they needed to get that bread... Bethsaida's not going to have bread there waiting for them. This is a little bitty, you know, it's a town. There's a lot of towns all around. A lot of villages. Very, um, I think you could say, uh, crowded area. Towns, cities, villages. So, there they are. That's. I, I think they're ridiculously lacking in what needs to be done. They're lacking in resources, aren't they? Jesus gives them something to do, a demand to feed the multitude. Jesus, why are you doing this? You know? Now some people say, you know, I'll serve Jesus someday when 
you know, I'm really busy and I'm stressed out right now and I just can't get involved in serving Christ and being involved in what the church does. There's just other things i got to do. Other people say, you know, I plan to give generously to the work of Christ, to the Lord's work, but I can only do that after I get my finances all figured out. You'll never get them figured out. You'll never be able to. But I can't afford to give much. They're making the mistake of thinking that serving Christ is something like we volunteer to do when we have adequate time and when we have adequate energy, when we have the financial resources. None of that really is there unless you take the time, take those things and show you what God has already given us, right? They then we'll choose to serve you when when we have all that. That'll never happen. They they you know servants don't go around telling their masters, "I'll clean your house and and I'll fix dinner tomorrow." But right now I'm really stressed out, kind of burnt out, and you know I can't do that right now. Can you imagine a servant doing that to the master? These guys are emotionally drained. They've been busy. They're tired. All they want to do is just get some rest. And that was, that's where Jesus was taking them. Although I don't think Jesus was really surprised with what happened. Why does Jesus do this? Well, these guys are lacking in resources. Jesus knows that. Servants serve because they're under a gracious obligation to serve their master. When we say yes to Christ, we're saying you're the master, I'm the servant, I want to do whatever you want to do. I just give you my all. Whatever it is you want. Isn't that what it's about? And in case you were to question that in our text next week, it's dealing with something along that lines where it's about the cost of discipleship. What's a true Christian, right? So, we're still at the problem. He, you know, they though they don't have the food to feed them, they say send them away. And he says, "You feed them." And now here's the problem. <laughs> How do we do it? Well, we take our inadequacy. Not what we can get, what we will get in the future. It's not that. But it's what we have now. Five small loaves and two fish. Kind of rather almost comical, isn't it? We, and here it is that he shortens it down here. It says, We have no more than five loaves and two fish. We already know where that came from, that little boy, right? The five loaves are, 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 are little biscuits. He didn't go around carrying five loaves of wonder bread, you know, all over the place. And those little fish are like sardines. That's what he has. That's what they they have come up with. They looked around and saw that and they said, here's what we have. And God blesses what we have been given. He said, boy, I sure don't have much. Well, actually, you don't have anything Mm -hmm. because you're absolutely inadequate, insufficient. But you give Him what He's given you, right? Matthew records Jesus as saying, Bring them here to me. 
bring the bread and the fish. Now that's the key. That's what they can get. Give your inadequate resources. That's definitely inadequate humanly to give this little bit to the thousands of people. Give your inadequate resources, your inadequate abilities to Jesus. The insufficient becomes more than sufficient. He is a sufficient one. When surrendered to Christ, we actually have a song called Sufficient One or something like that, don't we, Bob? Something like that. Think I might be I can't remember even how it goes, and now I get to think about it. there is a song dealing with I think the sufficiency of Christ, but I don't remember it. That just now dawned on me. So somebody can say, you know, if I just had the gift of evangelism, I'd witness more to people, but I don't have that gift. Actually, everybody has that because this is what He did for me. Here's where I was. Here's where I am now. Here's where I'm going. It's a three-part outline. Not too difficult, is it? If I just, if, if I, if I had the abilities that others had, boy, I could really do that. I'd love to do that, but I don't have that ability. We are inadequate. Jesus didn't use all the bread that was in Bethsaida because it still wouldn't have been enough, but He didn't use that. And the disciples didn't have it. He used the five loaves and the two fish that they did have. How ridiculous! Jesus doesn't ask you to give Him what you don't have. What does He ask you to give Him? What He's given you. So, the servant will yield his inadequacy to Christ. Do as Christ commands. What did they do? They did it. Um, They were willing and they were following Jesus' orders. I'm sure they've been around Him enough to not challenge Him on this. He says, have them recline to eat in groups about 50 each. They didn't say, eat what, Lord? What are they going to eat? They didn't say, it won't work, Lord. This this is not going to happen. They didn't say that. Peter could have said, I've got a better idea, Lord. But didn't say that. What Jesus did with this boy's lunch, little lunch that he had, he does with us when we give Him our inadequate resources and abilities. Isn't that amazing? That is a miraculous kind of God. These 50 men and their wives and the children, now, it's more than 5,000. It's 5,000 men. We see that, I think, it's defined in Matthew, Mark, I think it's in Matthew 14, where at the end, I think it's the end of Mark uh, section there, in Mark 6. Uh, 5,000 men, then there's women, there's children. Let's just say you have 5,000 men, take their wives, multiply that, then two and a half children. I don't know how you get two and a half. But anyway, 
let's say three children, two children, at any rate, we're up over 20,000 easy. And it could have been more than that. That's how many are there. What a number. And you got this idea, you know, the 50 men, well, they, you know, the wives and the children with them. You have these groups here. And why are they doing that? Why is Jesus doing Well, it's easier to serve them that way. Jesus hasn't told the disciples exactly how this is going to work, but He says, go out there and get them divided up. So, you know, they, they do that. And, you know, it's almost, they got to be thinking, okay, go out there and serve them what? I don't see anything yet. There's no record, though, that they were skeptical. So I'm not, I don't want to put words in their mouths. But I'm sure they're still wondering, like, what's going on? He's up to something. <laughs> and it says verse 15, uh, after he said, have them sit down to eat in groups about 50 each. Verse 14, 15 says, they did so. And he had them all sit down. Then he took the five loaves, the two fish, and looking up to heaven, he blessed them, broke them, kept giving them to the disciples to set before the people. Gives a blessing. Thanks the Lord before they eat. um, And I'm sure they're still trying to calculate. We're just like the disciples. We see the need and we start calculating in our own minds. You know, uh, pastors probably think, uh, if I just had a Bill Gates in my congregation, somebody like him, with that money or all that, just one of those kind of guys. Can you imagine what we could do, right? If we have to accumulate in our own lives sufficient wages to buy bread for the needy multitude, years and years can elapse before the need is ever even met. But God works differently, doesn't it? In His way, I mean, His His purpose is always different. We must expect God to work beyond all that we can even imagine. So the blessing as he gives thanks, is about something that will not only meet the need here, it goes way beyond it. See, he's abundant in his sufficiency. God breaks the bread, and I don't want to get too, you know, like a spiritual thought here. You know, the breaking of the bread is so that it can be distributed. But when you think about it, God uses broken things, doesn't he? So, in speaking with inadequacy and insufficiency of us, we think of it takes a broken soil for a, a crop to be planted and produced, doesn't it? It takes broken clouds to give a, a rain and broken grain to give bread. It takes broken bread to give us strength, doesn't it? And so that he's doing. How about a broken alabaster? that brings forth perfume. How about Peter? Weeping bitterly. Whenever he had denied the Lord, he was broken. That's what Jesus uses. Broken people. You've been broken? Most of us aren't too weak to serve the Lord. 
We're actually too strong. He doesn't want our strength. He wants our weakness. Boy, it sounds so opposite the way that a human would think, right? We, we may think we're strong, but in the Lord, we are weak. He doesn't want our adequacy. He wants our inadequacy so that He can supply the adequacy. And who gets the glory? He always does. Do you remember? Look in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7. This describes us, describes Paul, even all the apostles. Verse 7, it's talking about the first six verses dealing with the light of the glory of the gospel. And 7 says, But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, jars of clay, so that the surpassing greatness of the power will be of God and not from ourselves. That's what the inadequacy is about. It's about the power of God and His glory and the glorious gospel. Isn't that amazing? So His strength is made perfect in our weakness. His strength is perfect. We have absolute weakness. And whenever we realize it, and we realize we're depending on Him, we yield to Him, then the results happen. And so, we look at this. It says that He kept giving them to the disciples before the people. And they all ate and were satisfied. Fed them all. Everyone that was there. He said, oh, they got a little bit of a bite out of that biscuit. (laughs) No. They ate and feasted and ate. This had to be the best tasting food that they ever ate, ever. It's not tainted by the... (laughs) Think of the ground, the world that we live in, and all the sin. This is like coming from heaven. It's coming from Jesus. How's it coming? I don't know. It's just there. It says He kept giving them to the disciples to set before the multitude. They all ate and were satisfied. Now they all included that little boy who had the, the, the biscuits and the sardines taken from him. Everyone had enough. I mean, they were satisfied. They even had leftovers. Nobody actually was hungry at all. Every one of them. So it just kept coming and coming. This blessed stuff that He had just blessed just kind of keeps coming. The disciples come and get their load, take it out to the the group of 50, the other one grabs another one, another disciple grabs another. They come back, they grab more. They don't see it. They don't see truckloads of this food all around them. (laughs) It's not there. It's just like Jesus keeps just giving it to them. They don't see it. All of a sudden, it's there. He gives it to them. They take it out. They come back. There it is again. You think, well, there were at least sacks or something up there. No. He just 
gives them more. This is ex nihilo. What does that mean? Ex means out of. It's out of nothing. Nil. Out of nil. Out of nothing. That's how he created the world. Out of nothing. If he created the world out of nothing, he can certainly bring food out of nothing. And that he did. That's creation. By the way, a little plug here for the newsletter for December. It's about creation. And if you guys haven't grabbed one of those that we put out last week, I believe, on the table, grab you one. I think there's still more. Um, sometimes they all disappear, but if, if, if you can get one, get it. Really good reading there. Um, yeah, thank you, Zach. I, I enjoyed that. I think you got a little bit of confession involved in there, and then come on, you got, you got your um, commentary on it. Ex nihilo. He's creating. He's creating food right there on the spot as it was needed. It's, it's distributed among the entire crowd. I'll tell you something. This word satisfied, uh, cortado, it means to be gorged. <laughs> it means to be more than enough. That is the sufficiency of Christ. Abundantly. I want to tell you, you would have thought Jesus could have done this differently. He could have. He could have had manna from heaven come right straight down to them, couldn't he? He could have had it plopped right in their laps, every one of them, just like that. Boom. <laughs> There's the food. He could have had, how about trucks? You know, the food trucks? Just all lined up, all the way around them. And they, the people could just go for the truck and get it free. He could have done that, couldn't he have? I'm sure they would say, "What's what are those things? What's those things that have wheels on them?" He could have, he could have created all sorts of Chick Fil A restaurants all around the area. And he didn't do that. He did something that really didn't look too miraculous to the people. It is because they're getting food. But, you know, you're you're sitting way back and you're going, I guess he's got just food. I can't really see. But it just keeps coming. Hands of the disciples, they take it there. And they're satisfied. This is what Jesus does for us constantly. He satisfies us physically, food. Do you ever go real hungry? Oh, I knew somebody back there would do that. And you know what? Me too. But I don't think anybody's here has ever gone where there is real hunger, where they've gone for days and days. I don't think that happens, right? Okay. And so we know what hunger is, but we don't know what that kind of hunger is. And if we do, it is a terrible experience to have to go days without food. And He meets them right where they're at. Gives them everything they need. Um, Twelve basketfuls. How many disciples do you have? Twelve. Twelve baskets. There's their food. If they can eat it all. You know, 
they did what they were told to do. Oh, they, they were trying to figure out how is this going to work, I'm sure. They have their own basket full. Sometimes we think, you know, if I give my time and my energy, everything I can to serve the Lord, okay, what's in it for me? And if that's the question, back up a little bit and think. Think about what has happened to you as far as being saved and put in the kingdom of God and what a future we have, right? The best way we can give thanks is to we receive and we give. How is one satisfied? How, you know, we get disappointed all the time. We did a series on Tuesday night one time. And it was about being disappointed. Everybody gets disappointed. Things don't go the way thing the way that we think that it ought to, right? Sure. But if we look at Christ, we receive from Him. I'm inadequate. I receive from Him, and then I give it. I receive. I give. The disciples received the food. They went out. They gave it. Jesus could have done it in a more miraculous way by having it come right out of the sky, just magically appear. But no, kind of uses a natural means by the people, the disciples. But yet, it's still a miracle. He's he's creating. But they see the disciples coming to them, and they're bringing the food. We just want to lose ourselves in service for Christ. This lesson that they got went a long way. John 6.35 is a long chapter and it's dealing with the same miracle, only it tells what happened the next day. People were out to get what they had gotten the day before. They were hungry physically and they wanted to be fed. They wanted a kingdom physically where Christ would take over. And they could defeat the Romans and have the kingdom there. They're out to get that. And then he tells them, I am the bread of life. Yeah, I can keep feeding you this for your physical life, but you need to partake of me, Jesus says. And you know what? I'll satisfy you. It'll be a full measure of Christ. Do you see the lesson? It's a lesson in abundance. You see, Jesus is not just sufficient for our needs to a basket's left over. He is abundantly sufficient. We know that, don't we? We've seen it many times. So we close this in a section and I'll breeze through it because it's actually in a lesson in itself. But I wanted it to go with just where we were at here today. The way that Luke puts it here, it's right after this. And it happened that while he was praying alone, disciples were with him and he questioned them saying, Who do the people say that I am? They answered and said, John the Baptist. Others say Elijah, but others that one of the prophets of old has risen again. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Peter answered and said, The Christ of God. The greatest question is who is Christ? Who is this sufficient one? Who is this one who meets people's needs abundantly? 
This is where Luke places this and I, I can understand. Who is this that does these kind of miraculous supernatural things? Who do people say that I am, Jesus says. And if we were to look at what they have here, they have all sorts of different opinions about who Jesus is. People today, 2,000 years later, have all sorts of opinions of who Jesus is. Some say He's a great teacher. Some say He is one who is an example of love. He is one who is a good person. Prophet. Some kind of a great religious leader. (coughs) Of course, they had their opinions. Those same opinions happened and some people even deny that He even existed. That's ridiculous. Because even in secular historical sources, Jesus Christ is mentioned. This Jesus that we see in our Bibles. What year are we in? 2018 A.D. If you go back before the time that He was born, it's it's B.C., wasn't it? Before Christ. The Jews say before the Common Era. What started the Common Era? (laughs) But a lot of people did recognize that He is a powerful man. He was great. He was wise. He was learned. The Pharisees, the leaders, saw no beauty in the Messiah. That was before them. They saw no royal dignity in Him. They saw no crown. People saw no army. People saw no earthly dominion. He just looked like us. He's just common. Nothing, anything special. They saw a poor man who had no place to lay his head. That's what they saw. And yet it was at this time that, and in these circumstances that Peter says, you're the Christ. You're the Messiah, the Son of the living God. That is the great confession. He declares his belief there. That's what he does. It's a faith that stood out there, wasn't it? And then you get a stunner there. Son of man must suffer many things. Be rejected by the elders, chief priests, scribes, be killed, be raised up on the third day. He'd already told them, don't tell them about this. Matter of fact, he just didn't instruct them. It means that it's a military term and that he's giving a military command. He charged them, he commanded them. Don't tell anyone. So what kind of witness is that? What's going on here? There's a couple of reasons. One thing is that it could be really dangerous. He feeds 5,000. He does it like that. He can bring on an army. We can take this thing over now. In an instant. We could do it. They go and rush him, try to make him the leader. They grab him like in John 16, uh, or 6, 14, and 15. They want to force him to be a king. That's what they would like to do. Maybe to bring a coup against Herod, the king there, the Roman occupation. There's another thing here. There's judgment that is mentioned. It's judgment that's going to happen to them. Yeah, he's going to be turned over to the authorities and he's going to be crucified. And if they hear about him being crucified, first of all, you can imagine though, the people that want him to be the king, we're not going to let that happen. 
you know. So don't go around telling this. But this is the gospel story. But you remember we've talked about pearl before swine. You know, they, they weren't hearing truths. They didn't want it. It's kind of like parables. We've already saw those parables and how they work. It's almost as if the Lord is turning the light out on Galilee. Shortly, He'll be on His way to Jerusalem for the one reason He's here anyway. Nobody wants to hear that He's going to be crucified. crowd continues to follow all the way to the end. Those very same people that are shouting Messiah and Hosanna in the highest, they'll be calling for His blood just a few days later. He's the King. He's the Messiah. But people don't get it. And so here we have this story. It is Christ alone who can meet the needs of people. The disciples are to provide the food for the crowd. Food is the Word of God, ultimately. And through Jesus, they're able to do that. He supplies with abundance, doesn't He? They're just the vessels bearing the provision. That's what we are. We're just the vessels sharing the kingdom of God, the bread of life. And that is immense. I'm not adequate for that. But yet, He has given us the power and the authority to bring forth the bread of life to people who are starving to death. They don't even know it. The all-sufficient Christ. We can always rely on Him because we have everything we need of Him and He gives us what we need at that time. Let's thank the Lord. Father, we thank You for Your Word, Your truth. Thank You for making us vessels, broken vessels, to deliver the most important message that ever could be brought forth. This is a lesson that You used in this miracle. Yes, it shows Your deity. It is about Your compassion. But it's definitely a lesson to the disciples and all disciples or followers after them for the last 2,000 years that You equip us and You give us everything that we need to be able to live a godly life and to represent the person of Christ right here on earth. Lord, we thank You for these people. Thank You for letting me be just a part of them with them. And may we glorify You as we serve together. I can't think of a better privilege than being with Your people to honor You. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.